This morning we're stepping out of a series in the Gospel of John where um, we've been talking about God in our neighborhood. And uh, before we kind of fully enter into the Christmas season, just want to take a week to talk about our mission and to simply ask the question, what are we all about? Okay, what are we all about? So imagine some random guy, we'll call him Bob. Um, I don't know if there's any Bobs in the room, so don't be offended if you are. Um, Random guy, Bob. Um, imagine he is a, having a conversation with the person who is closest to you. And, um, you know, maybe that's your best friend, uh, your spouse, your, your parent, your roommate, whatever you got, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, the person who knows you the best. And Bob is having this conversation, and Bob is an inquisitive guy. He's, he's got questions. He, he wants to understand, and the topic turns to you. And hopefully this isn't intimidating. All right? But imagine Bob turns to your friend, your significant other, whoever it is, and, and, and we, Pete and I have been talking already. So, so Bob says, what is Pete all about? You know, or I've been talking to Dan. What is Dan all about? This is why you guys don't engage with me, because you're afraid that your name's going to come up, okay? I don't think we have a Susie here. What is Susie all about? What do you think the answer would be? If Bob is asking about you, what are you all about? Okay, now, before anyone feels guilty or whatever, I should be about this, but I'm about that. Okay, grace to you. It's the holiday season. And, and by the grace of God, man, do we have a lot of wonderful things to be all about right now. Like, like I couldn't even get get up here on stage and get my mic turned on before, you know, we're just kind of singing that song in the background, the, you know, it's great to be a Michigan Wolverine, you know, like, what a wonderful thing to be about right now, like, maybe the best time in my lifetime to be all about Michigan football, and some of you guys, you know, you're like looking at the ground and whatnot, I feel bad for your team, um, others are like, what, football. Oh, oh yeah, what the Americans talk about. Yeah, but it's the World Cup season, you know, and it's, it's great to be all about the World Cup. Or, you know, it's just the holiday season. And whether that's like um, decorating trees or baking cookies or, you know, doing your Christmas shopping or the kids making the list, you know, of here's what I might like for Christmas. What a wonderful time to be all in on the holiday season. You know, and frankly, some of you guys have, have bigger and better things than any of that going on in your life. Like, this is the moment where, you know, you're approaching graduation, or the career's coming together, or uh, you're, you're newly married. You know, we've got a, a, a bit of that going around in the church. It's kind of spreading. Um, we've got, you know, some of you pregnant with your first child, or pregnant with your next child. And, and there's a tendency to say, yeah, this is what we are all about right now. You know, all hands on deck, we are focused, we're excited. This is wonderful. This is, this is what we're about. And if, and if your friend answered honestly, that would be the answer to the question. And those are wonderful things. There's so many wonderful things to be all about, okay? But by the grace of God, here's, here's my prayer for you and for me. I pray that, that genuinely, from the heart, out of an overflow of joy, we would be the people who are all about Jesus. We would be the people who are all about the good news of his grace. Um, in, the, in the words of our mission statement for Mosaic, I pray that we would be the people who are all about multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage the world with his love. Amen? 
All right, so again, as we head into the holiday season, as we are, you know, some of us are going to get some downtime, and it's going to be much needed rest. And some of us are going to get to engage with people that we don't engage with the rest of the year or have deeper conversations. Or some of us, all of us maybe, are going to have opportunities um, man, to just invite people into the church or whatever. So as we head into that season, I just want, to re- want us to recalibrate a little bit. I want us to genuinely reflect and, and answer the question, what are we all about? And this morning, I just want to unpack our mission statement. So it won't be a traditional sermon like we often do where we pick one text and work all the way through it. We're going to be jumping around in the Bible a little bit. Um, but kind of the thing that holds it together is just this mission of multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage the world with his love. And we're going to break that down in three sections. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the heart of a disciple. I want to talk about the nature of a disciple, and I want to talk about the action of a disciple. So first, the heart of a disciple. Um, our mission statement begins with the word multiplying, but, but what is truly at the heart of our mission and what's at the center of our mission is Jesus. Okay? Our Jesus, our God, who, who became a man, who, as we've been preaching through in the Gospel of John, who came to our neighborhood, who entered into our world who lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we deserve to die, in, in order to pay a ransom for us, in order to cover our sin, in order to atone for our sin, in order that we might receive God's free grace and be welcomed into his family. We talk about this God and we worship this God and we talk about passionately pursuing this God who, who continues to woo and pursue us. This God who pursued us, not just to the point of death, but this God who pursued us even through death and through the grave and back raised from the dead and continues to pursue us now, even as we wander away, even as we walk in rebellion. And here's the thing about the way that God pursues us. It is lavish and it is amazing and it is wonderful, but for those of us who are familiar, it can become mundane. Okay, but, but this reality of the way our God pursues us, this is something that the Holy Spirit wants to use um, to, to just open our eyes so that when we catch a glimpse of how we have been pursued and the Holy Spirit just allows us to really see the way that we've been loved, all of a sudden there is something that rises up in us, this desire to pursue the one who has pursued us. Amen? All right, and this is just this little spark, this, this, this fledgling flame that flickers and, and it, could, it could go out, but it's, it's this little spark that God the Holy Spirit looks to fan into flame. And then that, that we as a church want to nurture as we talk about multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage the world with his love. Uh, let me illustrate this for you guys. Like um, When I was in college, I was a camp counselor. And one of, the, one of the aspects of the training that we were all probably a little bit more proud of than we should have been is they teach you how to make a single match fire, okay? And they look down on and they shame all the people who take like two matches to, you know, to make their fire go. But, but if you're going to do that, you've got to prepare and you've got to, you know, you're up in northern Michigan and there's pine woods everywhere. So you, so you gather up dry pine leaves and you kind of put them all together and, and nestle them and and, and then you get some tiny, tiny twigs and you make kind of a teepee that goes up in, on every side around it. And you get some bigger sticks and, and eventually some logs and whatnot. And they're all kind of just in, in ready position. Um, but, but then when, when you're about there, you get down on the ground. 
and you kind of like lay down right next to your, your beautiful little, little teepee that's, that's, that's encasing all of those dry pine needles, and you, you strike that match, and you get, it, you get it right in there where it can, it can get that, that most dry, that most fragile, that most ready to, uh, to spark kind of substances where, where it can get them just a little bit, and then you blow on it. Not like birthday candle blow on it. You know, you're not trying to blow it out, but you just, it's this, this gentle air current, you know, that's feeding new oxygen in, and, and all of a sudden that spark begins to spread a little bit. And, and it's amazing. And as, as you blow a little bit more, and as more and more pine needles catch, that there's enough heat that it can take these tiniest of twigs and it can, and, and, and they can catch fire. And then you start, you know, laying on top of that these slightly smaller, ever increasingly larger branches that you keep on building a bigger teepee until you can just start tossing logs on there and you got embers and you got, you got this beautiful thing and it's going. Okay? Uh, and then maybe if you're crazy and you're not at home, maybe if like there's like a conflict and, and, one kid's got a recital and the other kid's got a birthday and you draw the good card and you can like hang out with the birthday kid. Maybe you like throw a half gallon of gasoline on it just to see what'll happen because you don't make good decisions when your wife isn't home and it like goes up stories, you know, but there's different ways you can build a fire is all we're saying there. But, um, that's the Christian life. Okay. There's this reality um, that, that God is working in the world and he's working through people like us in order to prepare hearts to receive this spark of the gospel. You know, and we're the people who are like, you know, just kind of nestling those, those pine needles together and, and loving and investing in relationships and, you know, building those little teepees and kind of getting, trying to do our part to get people ready to receive the gospel. You know, and, and we might, we might try a lot of matches. We might strike a lot of matches, and, and it might get to the point of embarrassment that, you know what, I've been, I've been trying to get this fire lit for a long time, and I just realize I'm terrible at this. Okay, but there, there is this moment that we pray for, and this moment when God the Holy Spirit moves, where all of a sudden that struck match, it, it, it takes root, that spark, it takes root within those pine needles. And, and again, someone's eyes are open to, to, to see the God who has loved them and who has pursued them in such lavish ways. And all of a sudden there's a spark that says, I want to pursue him. You know, in the words of, of the Apostle Paul in, in uh, Philippians 3 verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Okay, that is something that only God can do. To, to give us that desire. But then when, when, when that desire comes, we want to nurture that desire and we, we welcome people into community and we welcome into our homes and we, we get into God's Word maybe one-on-one or maybe in a missional community or men's Bible study or women's Bible study. And, and, and we're, basically, we're basically adding those small twigs on, you know, relationally and through our conversations and, and through these simple things, we're, we're putting small twigs on and we're building heat there, Okay. These are the, this is the fuel that the Holy Spirit uses in order to build the fire. And eventually, it just keeps on building and until, until there's such a desire to know Christ that these individuals, us, our friends, they're, they're getting into God's Word on their own. You know, it's like that stage in the fire where you don't, you don't, you don't have to get it just right. You don't, there's, there's this delicate balance maybe early on, but then you get to the place where you're just tossing another log and, you know, ashes are going everywhere and it's great. And that's, that's what it is when we're just getting into God's word on our own and we're, we're spending time in prayer on our own and we're loving it. 
You know, because, because there is a fire that has been birthed in us, and it is, it is alive. And it's not like something that you have to do because, you know, that's what good Christians do or whatever. No, it's like, I want to know Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about in our mission. We're talking about being passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. Okay, and there's this reality that there's an ebb and flow to it. Um, just like there is with a fire, even when you get it established and the coals are going and, and it's this, it's this hazard out in the woods where if you walk away from that, it's going to be a forest fire. Okay. Even at that stage, if it doesn't catch into a forest fire all on its own, often you have to nurture. Okay. Even, even when you have in your fire pit in the backyard, let's do a little bit more safe here. Okay. If you leave it alone long enough, it's going to go out. You know, so in our lives, there's these times when, when we're not red hot, we're not orange hot, we're like white hot, passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful, and it's like hard to imagine a season when that wouldn't be true. And if you followed Christ long enough, there, there tend to be these seasons where we're kind of cold. We're like, I don't know, what's wrong with me? Or, you know, maybe in those moments we're starting to say there's something wrong with God, you know, which is not true, but, but it's just confusing. You know, how we'd been so hot a minute ago and, and so cold now. You know, but that's, that's the nature of the Christian life, that you need to add fuel to the fire. You know, and that fuel can be what we're doing right now. You know, when we're singing of the gospel together, I don't know about you, but that adds fuel to my fire. You know, I am mutually encouraged by your faith. You know, and likewise, when we, when we get into God's word alone, when we get our time in prayer alone, when we get our time in prayer and community, and some of you guys um, maybe don't know about it, but some gather before this service. I know some of you guys are like, before the service, I don't know what that is. I still miss the 11 o'clock. I don't know what we're doing here at 9. Yes, there is a before the service. And if you want to be among those people who show up before the service and pray that God would move to warm the hearts of your brothers and sisters that haven't had enough coffee yet, that is an opportunity. It's in that little library room, like just beyond that wall. Probably starts around eight thirty. I don't know for sure because I am like many of you, and you know, nine still a struggle. But but there's these opportunities and there's this need that we'd pray for one another. Now, so we, we talk about we talk about passionately pursuing Jesus Christ, but I also want to talk about multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. How does that work? Um. There are times when we gather together here and, and our faith is fanned into flame and, and it's this blazing bonfire and it's looking, it could get out of control and it's beautiful. But when we actually go out into the world and we go our separate ways and, and you know, we get in our schools and we get in our workplaces and we get in our neighborhoods and, and we feel like there aren't a lot of other flames flickering around us, maybe we, we feel more like that birthday candle, you know? Um, a birthday candle, it tends to be pretty fragile, right? Like, it's, um, it's, it's, it's there to be blown out, you know? That's, that's what we do with birthday candles. It's, it's just this flickery little thing. And, and if you don't get around to blowing it out soon, it's going to go out on its own, you know? It's just going to melt that little bit of candle, and it's going to be gone. And sometimes we feel like that. Um, but think about some of you parents or some of you kids that are old enough that you get to be a part of the lighting or whatever. You, you light that first candle... And then often you put the lighter away or you put the match away or whatever and you take one candle and you set it back to another. Okay? You pull one candle and you put it next to another and what happens? Like nothing. Nothing happens for a bit because that other candle, it's coated in wax. 
You know, so you're just holding your candle next, and you're like, my candle's kind of, my candle's dying here. My candle's getting shorter. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, but, but you hold your candle close enough to that other candle long enough, and, and the little bit of wax coating, it, it, it comes off of the wick. Okay, and, and then there's still nothing. But, but the heat builds, and until all of a sudden this, this other wick, it catches. And, and, and the, the flame grows because now we've got like two fuel sources here. We've got, we got two things that are burning. You're like, whoa, there's, there's like reproduction going on here. This is amazing. And now you can take your candle and somebody else can take the other candle and you can go to two more candles. And that's what it looks like to multiply. Okay, often it's slow. It's not like, it doesn't, it doesn't come together easily in every moment. Sometimes you're, you're bringing your faith-filled life into proximity to someone else, and you're like, I want to see them transformed by the gospel. I want them to see what I see. I want them to love the God that I love. I want them to have a passion to know Jesus Christ, but nothing is happening until all of a sudden, by the grace of God, something is happening. And it's beautiful, and it grows. And pretty soon, you've got this candle for some like 46-year-old pastor, and it's got all of these flames going over it, and it's beautiful. And it not only fills the room with light, it fills the room with joy, and everyone's excited, and then we blow it out, and the metaphor is like doesn't carry that far anymore. But it's a beautiful thing, okay? Multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ to engage the world with his love. So we've talked about... Um, Oh, I changed my notes. I got to figure out what my first word was. We've talked about, yeah, 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 the heart of a disciple. The heart of a disciple. It's wrong in my notes. Dumb notes. Um, so we've talked about the heart of a disciple. Um, multiply or passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. I want to talk about. I want to talk about the nature of a disciple. I want to talk about the nature of the Christian life. I want to talk about this reality that we were made to multiply. Multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ to engage the world with his love. Um, think about the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Some of you guys know what's there. Some of you don't. If, you're, if you don't know, all the more welcome to Mosaic Church. But um, all of the Gospels, there's these stories of Christian, of uh, Jesus' life. And of, of how he lived and the work that he did and the message that he preached. And the life he lived and the death that he died and, and his resurrection. Um, but you get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and you have something called the Great Commission. Kind of his closing words to his disciples. And I want to read those to you really quick. Um, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. One of the things I want us to see in the Great Commission in these closing words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is that, is that to be a disciple is inherently to make disciples. To be a disciple is inherently to make disciples, to multiply more disciples, to light more candles and to fan them into flame. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that the call to the Christian life is not, is not simply or primarily a call to become a better person. And the call to the Christian life, it's, it's not only a call to passionately pursue Jesus Christ. It is that. 
But you're not called to be a disciple who is just you alone with Jesus. You're not called to be this little birthday candle that's, that's flickering on its own, and unless you're one years old, it's, it's just kind of inadequate, and what is it there for? Okay? We are called to multiply our faith. There's a, a commentator that, that once looked at, you know, wrote this thick book on the Gospel of Matthew and got all the way to the end of it and said, here's the deal, guys. You can understand everything that I have said so far in this thick book about the Gospel of Matthew. But if you don't understand the Great Commission, if you don't understand that all of this is there in order that you might make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ, then you don't understand anything. You know, like, you know, whatever page he's on, he's on like page six, 673 or whatever, and he says, if you don't get what's on page 674 and 675 about making disciples and multiplying disciples, then you wasted your time reading these other pages because you completely missed the point. The nature of a disciple is to be multiplying. It's to be reproducing. When Jesus called his first disciples, he, he went to these fishermen and he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's like, you guys know how to catch fish and catching fish, it's actually harder work in the ancient world than it is in the modern world. And he's like, you guys know how to go hard. You guys know how to grind. You guys, you guys know how to labor. And that's beautiful, but I'm going to repurpose it. Okay, I am going to teach you to catch men. And what did he mean by that? He meant that his purpose in their life was that he was turn them, to turn them into disciples who would then themselves go and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him, who, a learner who teaches others everything that he learns about Jesus. A disciple in their nature is somebody who reproduces. And this is what we've been called into. This is, this is what we've been invited into, that our flickering, wavering little birthday candle would reproduce. And it's a beautiful thing. So up to this point, we've talked about the heart of a disciple, that we want to be the people who, by the grace of God, say from our heart, I want to know Jesus Christ. Passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. We, we've talked about the nature of a disciple, that by nature we're, we're reproducers. We are multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to talk about the action of a disciple. I want to talk about becoming people who engage the world with his love. And we've already touched on this briefly in the Great Commission, this call to go and make disciples. You know, and this, this idea that we take our little candle and we put it up next to another candle. And that's, that's how it works, that we've got to engage. We've got to get close. The, the heat, the spiritual heat that God is generating in us, it's, it's got to get next to somebody who's who kind of spiritually cold in order that they might catch flame as well. Amen? How do we do this? How do we, how do we see the world? How does this come about? We've been talking in this, this series in the Gospel of John about this God who came to our neighborhood, who entered into our world, and how we've been likewise called to enter into the lives of those around us. Ultimately, we're called to love others in the same way that we so naturally love ourselves. Ultimately, we're called to serve others in the way that we so naturally serve ourselves. And we don't have time to go deep into this story. But one of the clearest ways that, that Jesus illustrates this in the Gospels is through the story of the Great Samaritan. Oh, the Good, good Samaritan, Great Samaritan, whatever we got. It's great to be a Michigan Wolverine, I don't know. Um, 
this story of the Good Samaritan, I just want to give us an overview. It, it arises out of this conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law. And, and this guy, he knows the Old Testament well, um, but kind of like the commentary on Matthew thing, he's kind of missing the point. Okay, so, so he knows all of these rules, and he looks at him and he says, well, that's a lot. And he, he knows the command in the Old Testament, like, like, love your neighbor, which gets repeated a lot in the New Testament. Um, but he's like, well, that's kind of broad and overwhelming. So he starts this conversation with Jesus, and he's, 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 he's trying to limit the scope, and he asks, okay, well, but who's my neighbor? You know, and it's this, this question that's just dripping with selfishness and guilt and shame and obligation. Like, I need, I need to have this be really rigid so I can know whether I'm hitting home runs or whether I'm striking out. So I can either be really proud that I'm better than you or, or so that I can really feel terrible and ashamed and, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's so rigid. But Jesus answers it relationally. He says, you know, he, he wants to limit the scope and figure out what he can get away with not doing. You know, kind of what's the bare minimum that I can still call myself a good person? And instead, Jesus gives him a story. And, and Jesus starts to talk to him about this, this reality of, of what it really means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And basically, the gist of this story is that if God is working in our hearts, then people are going to be loved with our hands. Okay? If God is working in our hearts, then people are going to be loved through our hands. That our hearts and our hands are connected. And, and if, if we are not engaging this world with God's love, then we are not passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. Okay, because those two things go together. This, this passionate love for God, that it's got to overflow into the lives of the people around us. That's Jesus' point in the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's, let's just get into it briefly. Um, so this guy's asking the dutiful question, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, and we hear that, and we're like, place, place. They both start with J. I have no idea where they are because I'm American. I don't know geography. I'm completely lost. Um, what, what we're supposed to get out of this, what the original audience got, it was an extremely dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You go, you go, if you're going up, then, then you're going up through this, these mountain crags and there's cliffs on either side. It's like an old western um, where it's the ambush spot. And everybody in the ancient world, they knew that was a good ambush spot. You know, you come around the corner and the bad posse or whatever they're called in that day, you know, they're like coming to get you. And, you know, it's, it's just a bad scene. That's when the dramatic, you're in trouble music begins to start. And they got that all out of this phrase, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then he says, so a man was, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. No surprise there. We heard the music. We knew what was coming. Um, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead, which is this... Um, Intriguing picture, you know, like Hollywood does stuff with that, like the zombie thing and all of that. But, but I think he's, he's just beat. He's bloody. He's lying on the side of the road. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. Okay, so this is the moment, like we, we saw the dramatic um, music, like, like something bad's going to happen, Jerusalem to Jericho, everyone knows that's a bad scene. But then in this story, when, when Jesus starts talking about like the priest is coming and the Levite is coming, 
you know, this expert in the law is like, these are my people. All right, in his mind, the hero music is starting to go. Like something from, you know, if you're as old as me, something from like a Superman soundtrack or something like that, you know? So I, I don't know what the modern movies are, but, but it's, it's, it's that thing that something wells up in you and say, oh, good things are about to come because my team is here. The hero of the story has arrived. You know, they're the ones who are going to save the day, but they don't. Not only do they not help, they see this scene where this guy is bleeding out on the side of the road and they're like, that's gross. I don't. I, gotta, I don't want to fall off the back of the stage, but i got to stay a long ways away. That, yuck. You know, and they had all their justifications. Like, they had this ceremonial cleanness thing. Like, you don't go to worship if you've touched a dead body, or he looks like he's about to, he's not dead. He's gonna, this is gross. They don't do anything. It's, it's kind of this weird turn in the story. And then, and then, what does Jesus say after that? So the, the priest goes by on the other side, the Levite goes by on the other side. And, and in that, I think Jesus is like holding up a mirror to this man and saying, yeah, you, you who ask, like, who's my neighbor? Who do I really have to help? Well, surely I don't have to help a bloody guy along the side of the road, right? And Jesus is starting to imply, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's part of, you know, loving God, loving your neighbor, that sort of thing. And then Jesus really kind of like turns the knife. Verse 33, but... But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. I won't go into it a lot. We've talked about Samaritans in recent weeks, but they were the despised racial, ethnic, and religious minority. They were the people who were hated. They were the people who looked down on. They were not like the the, the teachers of the law, the the guy that um, the experts in the law that Jesus is talking to. And so when 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 he turns it and makes the Samaritan the good guy in the story, the guy. Who, who sees the man, who, who takes pity on the man. This is, um, this is hard to hear, okay? But the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he, he poured on oil and wine, and we're, Neosporin, I think that's what they mean by that. Um, I, I got nothing. Um, then, he, then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to the inn, and he cared for them. He essentially said, you, walk, you, you ride, I'm going to walk, okay? Okay, you, 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 need this, you need this convenience more than I need it. You need this animal more than I need it. You know, you, I'll walk, you can ride, I'll be inconvenienced, I'll give up my time, I'll give up my money, I'll give up my rights, not for a friend, but for an enemy, for a man who probably hates me. It's a Jewish man who's fallen along the side of the road. That's the implication of the story. It's the despised people group. It's, it's, it's the people who are hated. It's the people who he's like, this guy wants me dead, but I am here to love, 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 love him. The next day, the Samaritan man, he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Whatever he needs, whatever the cost, I'll pay it. I don't care. Provide for my enemy as though he were my son. Amen? That's crazy. Empty my bank account. I don't care. This man has a need, and I don't care that he hates me. I love him. Beautiful. Then Jesus turns to the expert in law and he asks him a simple question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands 
of robbers. The original question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is not answering the question, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who do I have an opportunity to be a neighbor to? Okay? Not who am I obligated to love, but who do I have an opportunity to love? And what would it look like to love them? To love my neighbor, all of my neighbors, everyone who God has made in his image and given me the opportunity to love. Again, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus said to the man, essentially, um, change, change your perspective on people. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your own needs. And look at the needs of the world around us. Because there's a, this reality in our lives that, that our own needs scream. And it might not even be a need. It might be a want. It might be the, just this kind of trivial thing. Like I've been having a bad, bad day. Like Burger King, they used to do the commercials. You deserve a break today. And America was like, oh yeah. I'll give up McDonald's to hear that because you are right. Boy, do I. It's been a hard day and I, I deserve a break today, okay? And Jesus is saying, man, your neighbor, your neighbor needs a break today. None of you guys deserve anything. But, but, but look at the opportunity to give your neighbor a break today. You know, like a fun Friday. Like you, you, you drop off your kids and, and, and we're going to do the crazy and it's going to be awesome, okay? Um, it's a beautiful story. I think it's something that we can all aspire to, to love like that, but it's hard. Um, what makes it hard? At least three things. First, the reality that in our fallen condition, we are by nature selfish. If there's one cookie left in the cookie jar, you know me. Shannon wants that cookie. You know? And I try to make up for it in other ways, but it is so hard to not take the last cookie. Like, I, I work on that. Like, you guys think that's like a dumb illustration. I'm like, this is spiritual warfare for me, and I'm losing. <laughs> Everyone else in my family knows how to bake and cook. I'm like, you guys, I, they're like, we deserve the cookie. We made the cookie. I'm like, but you have the ability to make a new cookie. Look at feeble me. I can't. Thank you. Second, our culture is increasingly and unashamedly calling us to live for self. Our culture loudly screams, Usually in different words than this, but our culture loudly screams, be selfish. Look out for number one, and by number one, they mean yourself. Okay? You got to look out for you because nobody else is looking out for you. I want to tell you guys, that is not just stupid, that is blasphemous. What do we believe? We believe that we've been adopted into the family of God. That the God of all creation has said, I want you to call me daddy. I am your father. I am the one who cares for you. You are not orphaned. You are not alone. You don't need to look out for you because I look out for you. Some of you guys, you got good parents? How would your parent feel if you went to them and said, I don't, I don't think you got my back. I don't think you're going to look out for me. I'm, I got to fend for myself. That's ridiculous. 
we have a gamut of, of a range of you know, how our parents do, and all of our parents are weak and failing and fallen, but, but God our Father is not. And he cares for us. And that frees us to say, I don't have to be watching my back all the time. I don't have to be thinking about myself all the time. I can, I can look for the people that God has placed in my life who I can bless and I can love and I can serve. Because I have been blessed and I have been loved and I have been served and it is ongoing. And I live under the fountain of God's love and God's grace. And I'm, I'm always drinking deeply of that. And there is an overflow, okay? So, so let's just pour it out into the world. Third reality that makes us harder culture um, sells this idea of self-love as the solution to self-hate. Self-love as the solution to all of our self-loathing and shame. But in the gospel, we have a different solution. In the gospel, God says, my love is the solution to your self-hate and to your shame. It's not self-esteem. In the gospel, (laughs) we're called to get over ourselves. Who cares what I think of myself? Who cares about self-esteem when I have the esteem of the almighty creator of the universe? God loves me. I don't even need to think about me. Because my God loves me, my God cares for me, and again, it frees me to love someone else. And it's beautiful. Who needs self-esteem when we have God's esteem, God's love, God's care? Amen? When we live our lives as though we're on our own, it is hard to live our lives well. When we live our lives in isolation from each other, it's hard to live our lives well. But when we live our lives as though we are alone and don't have a God who cares for us and protects us and loves us and provides for us, it is hard to live our lives well. Because at every turn, we're desperately insecure and wondering, you know, how am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to protect myself? How am I going to achieve my goals? But what a reversal when we see our God for who he is. When we, when we feel like we're doing life alone, we, we go through and we're like, I can't give time to this person. What if I don't have enough time for my needs? I can't, I can't move my money into the end of the table to bless the community and to build his kingdom because, man, what if that means that I don't have enough for my needs? You know, I can't help this person fix their car. What if my car breaks? That's not how a Christian lives. For those of us who've placed our faith in the God of all creation, we just, there's, there's a freedom, there's a reckless abandon. I don't need to worry about taking care of myself because my God cares for me. And you know who God might use to take care of me? He might use you. And that's beautiful. And that's what it means to be in this community. And so we can be these people who reinforce the reality for each other by loving each other and caring for each other and building each other up and meeting each other's needs and then looking around and saying, man, there's a surplus. Let's go meet some needs out there. Let's, let's go take our flickering, fledgling flame and, and let's put it next to something that's cold. And let's invest some love over there. 
in, in order that they might be warmed, in order that, that that little candle might burst into flame. And they might join us in this endeavor, multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage the world with his love. When we live as though we were on our own, it's hard to love other people well. But when we realize that we live under the ever-flowing fountain of God's love, we can't help but let his love overflow into the lives of those around us. Amen? All right, really practical as we wrap up. You get nothing else out of this message? I want you to get this invitation to know God. To become a passionate pursuer of Jesus Christ. You can't manufacture that. You can't turn that on. The way you get that is you spend time with other people who genuinely love God. You, you, you spend time on your own and with them getting into his word and, and figuring out who he really is. You, you, you begin to catch a better glimpse of who God is and eventually God works through our prayers and, and the Holy Spirit just sparks something in you and like, wow, if this God loves me like that, then it is, I, I just find myself loving him back. If he pursues me like that, I want to pursue him. And that's what I want for you. As we head into the holiday season, I told you, like, there's opportunities to invite your neighbors and coworkers and friends and classmates and all that stuff. Go for it. I'd love that. There's a thousand other opportunities. You can go, you know, flyering and chalking, and there's things you can serve in and all of that. I want you to count all of that as optional. Holiday season is this wonderful season where we can get some downtime, and it, it introduces new opportunities to love people towards Jesus, unique once-a-year opportunities but it also gives opportunities for rest. And I just, I just want to recognize that some of you guys have, have been going really hard. You've been going hard for the kingdom of God, or you've been going hard for work, or you've been going hard for you know, academics or whatever, and you're tired. And it is a beautiful thing to just rest in the grace, in the grace of God. You know, watch some college football or Christmas movies or whatever it is that you're into. Decompress. That is healthy. Sabbath is a rhythm that we see in Scripture. It's a beautiful thing. I want all of us to be passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. I want all of us to be stepping into some spiritual disciplines and seeking him and asking for encouragement in that. If that overflows in the next few weeks into blessing our community, into giving financially, into, into serving, into engaging the world with his love, beautiful. Okay? If December is the month that you sleep in and engaging the world with his love comes later, beautiful. Okay, because this is not a guilt or shame oriented thing. This is not something you manufacture in this in yourself. This is not something um, that you do because you have to. This is something that you do in response to the work that God is doing in you. Okay, but man, do I want us to position ourselves to see God work? Right? Okay, I want us to do the things in community with each other and in our personal time with God that are conducive to seeing him for who he is and fanning all of that stuff into flame in order that that we might fully answer our calling to be the passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who not only multiply but engage the world with his love. Amen? That's what we're about. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this group of people that gather to worship with us in this service, in our Ann Arbor service. God, I thank you that that I just know them, and I know so many who, who love you and want to know you more. Lord, I pray for them that they'd be encouraged in their faith this morning. And Lord, I pray for those who are still trying to figure out who you are and what it looks like to follow you. And man, this Jesus is beautiful, but I don't know if I'm all in on him. 
God, may you stir hearts. May you draw people into conversations. Um, God, I pray that you would remove barriers and that you would bring transformation, Lord, because there is no greater joy than knowing you and pursuing you. And I just want that for everyone here. And man, I want it to cascade into those who are not yet here. Uh, Lord, as we close our service, may we continue to catch a better glimpse of who you are and be moved by it. Amen.